All right, Rhett, where are we going? In life and the podcast and work. What do you mean, brother? I'm not sure. I just know that change is coming. Mm. We're going to do it different. So most of you guys know that some change is coming for us. But as it pertains to this podcast, we're going to keep things going strong. So we have one more episode that we're releasing in December, and it's a Q&A episode where we want to hear your questions for the pipeline thing. So please... Look for that. Also, come 2023, we're going to keep the podcast going strong. You're going to see more great content on Pipeline Integrity coming your way. Thank you so much for your support, and we look forward to 2023 with you guys. Chris, since we don't know where we're going, just take us home, man. Hey, Siri, give us directions home. It looks like you don't have a home address listed on your contact card. Oh, my God. We're homeless. Welcome to today's episode of Pipeline Things. Uh, you know, similar to what we did with the dirt merchant a couple of weeks ago, Chris subjects me to the new uh, regulation from 192.712C. You get my unfiltered reaction to how uh, dents and um, engineering critical assessment for dents were handled in the code. All I will say is this is the way. If you haven't way. seen The Mandalorian, you might need to Binge catch it up on, on Disney that Plus. joke. Absolutely. It's, it's a great episode. I honestly think there's a lot of good content here. Maybe even some good reactions from me. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to today's edition of Pipeline Things. I am your host, Thing 20, my co-host, Thing 21, otherwise known as Rhett Dotson and Christopher DeLeon. I am, um, again, excited to be back with y'all today because uh, we're going to continue on one of my favorite subjects. I think Chris is going to continue to try and pick at me to see if he can get me to exit the show in, in anger. This is the way. This is the way. This is the way. We're going. He's going straight for the Segway reference there. He's, you know, so it's kind of funny. So I asked Christopher this morning if, if he had seen Obi-Wan. So I don't know if we have any Star Wars. Obviously, I'm a Star Wars fan because in the, the previous episode, you referenced my paper, yeah. which is judge me by my size. Yeah, yeah. Do you? Which is a Yoda quote for everybody out there. It was a Yoda quote. It didn't stop IPC from getting upset at the title, but it was a Yoda quote. Yep. Um, and so we have Star Wars fans out there. Maybe I asked Christian, hey, had you seen Obi-Wan? And your response was... Did you was, just say Obi-Wan? I'm pretty sure I just heard you say Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Obi-Wan. Not Juan. Okay. But the point is, okay. I asked you if you'd seen Obi-Wan. We have to check him sometimes. Just, just being sure. It, I asked if you had seen the new Star Wars show <laughs> on Disney Plus about Obi-Wan. And <laughs> he said Obi-Wan. What is wrong with the saying? Why are you making fun of me? All right. Let's I did. It. It's not very good. Now, The Mandalorian. The Mandalorian. That is fantastic. That was absolutely. Yes. It and fantastic. I, I loved The Mandalorian from beginning to end. It's like, yeah. it has this it's like so good. weird, it's almost kind of steampunk, right? Like, it's got like this. Like yeah. Western vibe, people yeah. shooting stuff, but yeah. then Star Wars. And he kind of holds his gun like this, you know. It's yeah. very, it's very Wild Wild West, very John Wayne ish. Uh, yeah, it has all yeah. of that feel, but again, with like Star Wars lasers and the stormtroopers <laughs> and yeah. things like that, in a, mixed in in a way that yeah. makes you be like, ah, this is kind of cool. I like it this. It is awesome. It, 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 have you seen any of it, Miss Producer? 
Do you do any Star Wars stuff? Have you seen any Star Wars stuff? Okay, have you seen The Mandalorian? So you don't get This Is The Way. Oh, gosh. Well, what I can say is it's sometimes it's This Is The Way is inspiring and fun. Yeah. And so we have to explain it to and her. Sometimes there is. Oh Lord! This is the way. Oh, so what Christopher's holding up. Look, so we can this let's get the audience the where we're going here. Uh, we're gonna, we're following up on deformation tools. So we 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 talked about deformation tools last time. Yep. And then we kind of ended right on the basis of determining dent depth. And you went all off on 1183 and doing integrity assessment yep. calculations and all that fun yep. stuff. And so we were talking about that, and we, we knew we were going to go into dent integrity assessments in this episode. Yep. What I didn't know is Ren that two. Ren 2, yep. which everybody's been waiting on, dropped. So yep. Ren 2 of the updated gas yep. rule dropped, which contains, yep. contains the language around dent fitness for service assessments or how to address dents and mechanical damage. Yeah, as part of 7. Chris is going yep. to... Chris is going to interrogate me on this episode regarding that, and and you're going to catch my raw reaction. Yes, because great. I have not had a chance to review this in depth, so the audience is going to get my unbiased reaction to the rule, which is good. We and want it's authenticity. To get, don't you guys want authenticity? They want authenticity. You want authenticity. Do you want authenticity, yes. Ms. Producer? Do you want authenticity, or you want a script? She says I will stand for nothing less. Boom. Let's go. So um, we'll do it live. Boom. We'll do it live. But. The, this is the way. So, like, when the Mandalorian speaks, their whole creed around Mando is like, "This is the way." It's so like when they do things, they're like, "This is the way." Yeah. Right. So when it I was telling way, Chris, it wouldn't be any other way. I was telling Chris, I was like, "Man, I don't know if I'm going to agree with that provision." He's like, "Rhett, this is the way." So we're, whether you like it or not, I this is the way. This ep- I think this is the way is going to get used probably a hundred <laughs> times in this episode. So let's jump in. So rather than talking about dent-based assessments and taking a, that track, Chris is going to drive the bus, yep. preferably not off, off the, the cliff. cliff. Yeah. But he's gonna he's gonna drive this episode, and right. uh, he's gonna lead us. So Chris, here we go. I'm excited. Let's go. So we'll give a little bit of background, guys. Right. So. Uh, on the gas side of, of our industry, we've been anticipating uh, what is referenced as RIN2 of the new gas regulation for quite some time now. And, and RIN2 focuses a lot on repair criteria. Amongst other things, that's one of the highlights. And what we saw in RIN1 was this, this section um, referenced as 192.712. And that's where you're yeah. basically calculating uh, failure pressures. And you see this section come into play when you're potentially doing an ECA for MLP reconfirmation or you are um, doing an assessment um, that's not in an HCA, maybe through 192.712. And so what we, what we kind of anticipated was that this same paragraph, 192.712, was where we would see some direction around um, doing some type of fitness for service for dent slash mechanical damage features. And it's there. Yeah, well let's be clear. So it's there. It was it was a placeholder. 192.712 C yep. originally had reserved for future yeah. use or so, something so, like so that. People some people knew that, right? So we knew that was kind of gonna be the placeholder. And and, and here it is. And so we're we're gonna walk through that. So, so we're what, just to be clear, we're yeah. in 192.712 C for the audience. Yes. So you can go pull this and yes. follow along with us. If you want to. Yes, if you want to. God, I, I think it's gonna be way more entertaining hey. just to like watch him if you don't watch him. Because we're doing it live. Mm. Can you not, uh, in all fairness, I want the audience to know. 
I all I did is skim it with you, and I and underlined was, oh, some things. Ums, oh, why did he do that? And you kept yelling, "This is the way." This so, is so uh, you're gonna get largely my unbiased reaction. Can you not? Can you try not to get me in trouble? I'm totally poking you. We're going. We have to be authentic. Okay. We're gonna be authentic, but reserve the right to edit anything. <laughs> <laughs> I just asked that you be professional. I'll be professional. You can be authentic be and professional. professionally Let's opinionated. Rhett, I challenge you. I challenge you to be professionally authentic. Chris. I am always authentic. This is the way. This is the way. All right, here we go. So, uh, 192.712C. Dents and other mechanical damage. Okay. To evaluate dents and other mechanical damage that could result in a stress riser or other integrity impact, the operator must develop a procedure. So you have to have a written procedure. Yep. And perform an engineering critical assessment as follows. So let's say two things. Number one, operators need to have a written procedure. procedure. Number two, they just use engineering critical assessment in a different way than it was used previously. Yeah. So this is not the same. Used to that. This is not the same as ECA for MAOP reconfirmation. Nope. Different animal. Or this an ECA for cracks. ECA for 712C. Yeah, this isn't an ECA for cracks either. Yes. Right. So we we can uh, how would we describe an ECA in this context? It is a numerical. Well, they're analysis. about to say it. Look, they're about to say it. Perform well, an engineering critical assessment as follows. I uh, think there they're you about go. to define yeah, I like it. For that. It. Chris, uh, this is the way. <laughs> so, well, question: Do you think do you, uh, you skimmed that before we got on? Do you think we could help somebody write one of these procedures? Yes. You think so? Yeah. Call us. Okay. Get help. Give well, us let's get, get help. Right now. All right. They might not want to after they listen. After to this we're episode. done, yeah. Or maybe they will. I don't know. We'll um, Identify. So the ECA. As follows, identify and evaluate potential threats to the pipeline segment in the vicinity of the anomaly or defect, including ground movement, external loads, fatigue, cracking, and corrosion. Thoughts? Um, there's nothing, I have no issues with this. I think what they're really speaking to is they're addressing specific instances where dents have become problematic and they're asking operators, I would say this fits into the data integration phase. One bit, I'll, Gather I'll, your data. I'll use my, my terminology, this is interacting defects. Yeah, I would agree. That's what they're after. Right? So it, yep. ground movement can potentially cause things like buckles to yep. grow. Ground movement, if it pushes you up against a fixed point, can cause a dent to fail. Yep. Uh, fatigue cracking is prevalent among some pipelines. You need to be aware if you have it. It's then all they encompassing. Used, they used cracking separately, which is really kind of getting on strain. So you, they're telling you, hey, yep. look, if you have a dent, Know what the potential for something else to interact with it is. Integrate other data sets. Yep. Nothing wrong with point number yep. one. We're good. Point number two. Review high-resolution MFL, i.e. magnetic flux leakage, high-resolution deformation, inertial mapping, crack detection inline inspection data for damage in the dent area, and any associated weld region, including data available from previous inline inspections. I do want to make a point. Guess where a high-resolution deformation is and all that? It's in the what? middle. Second joke. <laughs> going back, if you didn't get the joke, go listen to the previous episode. I'm not going. I'm not. You're not going to get me on that one. Okay. I was, no. So they, they they basically mention a handful of ILI technologies. What do you think? Um. So. I'm not crazy about the way it's it's worded. I think I understand what they're trying to do. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, uh, you know, it says for damage in the dent area and associated weld region, right? Yep. So they want you to view all of these stuff. 
to determine whether or not you have a potential for mechanical damage. That's what yep. they're after, right? I do think uh, MFL has its place in that, but there's a lot of situations where because of liftoff, because of other things, you may not actually be able to see yep. that mechanical damage. I think as an operator, it's worthwhile to be aware of that. So here's how I would say it. Because I, I would reword the point of number two to address this. You want to understand maybe what is causing that dent and the potential for that cause to give you other problems. Yes. Right. That's how I would word point number two. Yep. So in other words, is it a chance that your dent isn't a dent, but it's a buckle? Yeah. Review your IMU data. Determine yep. if you have bending strain issues or is this only introduced to something that might have been erroneously called a field bend and it's not a field bend. I've seen that happen before. Yeah. That means you don't have a dent concern, you got a buckling concern. Uh, is there a chance that you had a metal loss signal in there that maybe for some reason or another wasn't called? Is there a chance yeah. that metal loss signal is potentially associated with cracking? There are some vendors who have uh, made some claims that they can do that. I'm not yeah. going to speak to the, the adequacy yeah. of those claims, but I think what the regulators are doing is saying, hey, look at that data. If you think it's mechanical damage, address the possibility and the threat associated with that. If you think it's buckling, address the threat and the associated possibilities with that. This is kind of, again, more of a, a data integration step. Yep. So if, if you are a note taker and you have this printed, a um, couple words I'd put next to number one is I would underline threats. Basically, what we're looking there is we're looking for interacting threats, right? So do we know what threats could be combining yeah. here? That, that's really the, the goal or the objective of the first point. The second point truly is data integration. Yeah. That's where you're actually gathering data on the target but specific feature. specific to ILI. Yes. It's data integration specific to features from ILI. Yes. That have been reported to understand how the data from each ILI system right. can be integrated to better understand that deformation. Is that deformation with coincident metal loss or right. is that gouging, right? Is that a buckle? So they're kind of like two different forms of data integration. Yeah. One I'm going to say is data integration outside of the ILI tool. Do you yes. generally have a fatigue cracking threat of the possibility on this pipeline? Yes. The second one is what other information do you have from your ILI tools? The second point I would make is, and if we have any of our friends at the grit uh, listening to our podcast, I would say this is a good opportunity for an FAQ on bullet two because when you use the word and crack detection, that could be interpreted as a prerequisite. Mm -hmm. And I think the intent here is, is if you have it, you want to integrate it. Right. So that's a big point for, for clarification there. All right. Moving on to number three, um, perform pipeline curvature based strain analysis using high resolution deformation inspection data. Thoughts? Um, for gas pipelines, uh, I think a lot of operators have already been moving that way. I certainly don't have any problems with it. Uh, it's. I think the only sticking point here is I don't know that they defined high resolution in here. Yep. We touched on that last time. Yep. Um, it, I think high resolution is incumbent upon the operator to understand. And high resolution is really speaks to how well or how certain in you and your ability to quantify the strain, right? So if you get a high resolution tool, quote unquote, but it's got a large uncertainty in the strain, I don't really care that it's yeah, high so resolution. So I'm, I'm gonna ask some questions here because again, I, we got some momentum and so I wanna dig into this a little bit. If we don't know what high resolution means, is it fair to say that we need to focus on how well the tool can create a profile? Yes. 
So is that the way to right. advise our customers to think through this? Yeah. How well and what quality is the profile that you get? Right. Uh, mm -hmm. What I'm going to say is I'm not aware of any vendors out there who have specs on how good their profiles are, which is yeah. a challenge. But point is, let's give me some, I'm going to give some concrete guidance here, which I don't typically do. If you're looking at a sensor spacing that's generally greater than an inch and a half between your circumferential sensors, it's probably not a high resolution tool. Yeah. And you're probably going to struggle to have the resolution you need to do an adequate curvature-based assessment. There's some things you can do to work around that, yeah. but you're going to struggle. Um, yeah. If you're less than that, you're generally in, I'm going to say, the, the upper echelon of capable highlight tools. Strain-based analyses. And there's been tons of papers on those. I've written papers on those. I think we understand that. So, but not everybody that listens might. So, yeah. elevator pitch, curvature-based strain analysis. What is it? So, when you look at B thirty one eight appendix R, right? It provides guidelines for performing strain assessments, and the requirements on those can be found in another section B thirty one eight. That's a curvature base. That means you're looking at the curvature of the dent profile and how much it's changed to estimate the in-place strain in the pipeline. How much strain was induced on the deformation at the time it was formed, which has been found to be associated with the potential for cracking. So really what you're looking for is, is my dent likely to have cracking as a result of the strains induced at the time the dent was formed? And those calculations are standard. I would say yeah. So the variable here base. is yes. how well the eyelight tool can characterize that profile to establish radiuses. Yes. It means you're going to need what we call radii data. So a lot of times you're used to getting a listing. Operators, if they're going to want to do this, are going to need to get more than just a listing. You're going to actually need to get the caliper traces from the tool to perform this type so of So that sounds like part of your written specification earlier. It's important. This is a change. Yeah. So before where you were needing to understand where you had deformations above a certain depth, Regulation is now requiring you to report features differently. Yeah. Now you have to understand the radius or the, these radii files, these profiles yep. of dents. So that's a reporting requirement change. It, it is, and I'm going to say it's something that I think is it's important for operators to begin. This is just like getting your, your IMU data written into your specification. Yeah. You need to begin getting the radii files written into the specification. So what for that is for all reportable dents. For all reportable yep. dents, right. So you're looking at how much, or, or what is the shape of that dent in full 360 degrees, right? All the way around the pipe circumference over a given length. Okay. But again, I, I think point three, as it reads here, I don't have any problem with. We've, we've been doing this already. A lot of operators have already done this. I do this for a lot of operators. I think strain assessments, at least for the last decade, have become more commonplace. But let's hold on. So are, so are you saying, that if two individuals do a strain analysis, because you talked about the analyst and how you can always find in the previous episode, dents are sized differently. Some are under 2% yeah. and then all of a sudden it's over 2% or vice versa. It was called that above two, next time it's under, did it shrink? Strain, um, are, are all strain analysis equal? Um, I think, you know, if, if you're using somebody who's experienced uh, and they understand how to smooth the profile, yes, I, I think largely, well, gosh. you said smooth the profile. Yeah, so well, look, a lot of times ILI tools systems inherently have some noise in them, particularly mm -hmm. calipers are, are not immune yep. to that, right? So a lot of times you have to use a certain amount of smoothing. We typically use spline curves. I don't want to get too deep into that. Yeah. That in and of itself is a bit of an art, but if you have somebody who knows what they're doing, they will usually get uh, the correct answer. Mm -hmm. um, and I'll say, you know, uh, there, there's a number of people that do that. I'm not, I'm not, I guess I'm not getting too hung up on it, Chris, sure. because 
If you this, have this, a was, vendor, this wasn't in regs before, and now it is. Right. So this is an well, opportunity no, for our audience. No, well, but engineering critical strain yes. appeared in the response criteria section for ILI. That has already been in there, which is why a lot of people have been doing it. Yes. I think what we're going to find, though, is it's we're going to have some downstream requirements as a result of this. So I, just, okay. I wanted to spend a little bit of time on it. Okay. Okay. Um, maybe we'll do four, and then we'll, we'll give you a little bit of a break. The fourth one says... Com- That's good because I'm going to get angry. <laughs> we, we need a manager. I just read it and I was like, I'm going to get angry. Go uh, on, Compare the dent profile between the most recent and previous inline inspections to identify changes in the dent depth and shape. First reaction. Total garbage. <laughs> and we're taking a break. <laughs> Are we really? I think we need to take a break. We need to talk about this. We need to we need to compose ourselves a little bit. All right. Well, hey, join us after the break. We're thing twenty and three and twenty one, where we pick up on the subject of total garbage. This is the way. Hi, I'm Kara Turner. I am the managing director and co-founder of ADV Marketing. We get the honor of working with Rhett and Christopher to produce this crazy podcast and also work with them on any other initiatives that they have when it comes to marketing. And if you know them or are listening to this podcast, you know that it gets pretty crazy around here. So we have a lot of fun with them. ADV Marketing is a full-service business-to-business marketing agency. Um, We specialize in service companies and technology companies. So if you are enjoying listening to this podcast and the fun that they're having, reach out to us and see how we can make your marketing fun. All right, so we're back. I'm practicing breathing. I'll bring us back. So and, you watch uh, that, that anime show, um, Demon Slayer, right? So that you practice the total breathing? Yes. I'm practicing total breathing to keep my yeah. emotions in you check. you have to do a little... You see steam coming out of yes. my mouth? Yeah. I'm practicing. People are going to know how nerdy we are, dude, that we watch anime and stuff like that. So. You know in Bad Boys, doesn't Martin Lawrence do the You ever watch any anime? Usa. Dude, anime has got some cool stuff. Ooh, Especially, stuff. I'm not gonna lie. I like to watch it in, in in Japanese with the subtitles underneath. Oh, it's way better. And my wife walks in and she's like, "What are you watching?" Okay. All right. I'm back calming to, down. Back to. So, I I think we both could say a whole lot about bullet number four, and I think that to create value for the audience on this episode. It's important to understand why we think this is this is challenging. Yeah. So I use the word total garbage. Look, let's let's go in there, Chris, because yeah. I want you to know why. Look, you got my reaction. Yep. We said the problem is go. we have prescriptive regulation. Prescriptive regulation says if you are greater than this, do that. If yep. you meet this criteria, do that. This is a completely subjective line in here. So I know from experience, I have compared numerous dent profiles. Do you have a paper right? on that? Um, actually, we did do a paper comparing the results of dent depth and strain. That was in IPC 2020. I think it was called Judge Me by My Size. That's the paper you were going for with I was. That. So um, the challenge there is that no two dent shapes are ever going to look, quote unquote, the same. Yep. Tool velocity, if you, God help you, if you change vendors, you're probably going to get a very different look yep, at for the sure. dent shape. My challenge is what is a significant change in dent shape? There, I don't even know how, I'm being honest with you, I've seen a lot of profiles. I don't know how I would define a significant change in dent shape. I don't like that being in regulation yeah. because I think that that's too subjective in a prescriptive regulation. 
Uh, dent depth. What is significant dent depth? If you tell me yeah. that a change in dent depth outside of the specification for a geometry tool is significant, yeah, we're gonna have a lot of problems, Chris. Yeah, we're gonna have a lot of problems. So if if I can bring this around, you gonna try and make something from my garbage? One man's no, trash, no, no, another man's no. I'm I'm gonna try to restate what you said, and that's there's gonna be challenges in how two different ILI systems, which may not have the same measurement principle, will provide data that you have to compare. So that's one set of changes you'll have to manage. And then the other is understanding how that ILI data set is able to produce yeah. dent depths and shapes and for you to identify what significant is. I, I think that you're gonna have to define significant. And I yeah. think in this case, you may get in a 1.4% dent. You may get substantial differences in strain that may not matter at the end of the day. It might be 1% versus 3%. Move on, right? So I think, again, you're going to need to talk to somebody who's going to define significant in terms of integrity, which bullet point four doesn't do here. And you hit it on the head. And so, again, for our note takers there, uh, as we're writing notes next to bullet item number four, um, here's my suggestion. A way to interpret this is that this is a process. Yeah. And bullet item number four is one component in this process of an evaluation. It's one component of a criti engineering critical assessment for yes. depth, as it's for doing five. Exactly. And so in this critical assessment, what we're basically doing is we're going through a step of different analyses that have to be done to reach a conclusion. It's not that you're gonna draw a conclusion from step four but rather it's one of several inputs into the broader analysis. And we just believe that this is where you can find um, a lot of uncertainty, not in that the integrity of your pipeline is uncertain, but rather how to interpret these results. So while this could be an important step for a macroscopic level comparison, don't hang your hat on making a lot of decisions based on bullet number four. Would you agree? Yes. Awesome. Number five. Get help. You were breathing. I'm good. I like I like I like your calm. This is good. I wonder if this is why, like, you know, when we both have kids, when you when our wives were practicing breathing techniques. We didn't do that. She told me to get out of the room. That's a whole other story. Let's move on. <laughs> Literally. I was trying to actually do something like she is in labor. I don't remember what I said. She's like, I was trying to count. That's what it was. And she looks at me, she goes, Can you please stop? <laughs> That's why I knew my role during the birth. So let's get real. Quick. All right. So so we're how real do we want to get? We're on our second child. Right. So we've gone we've job. gone through this. So I'm hungry. I've been through this show. It takes a little while. I left the room. Almost I went to go birth. get food. No, no. I come back super excited. Right. So I show up with my barbecue chicken pizza, and it's got red onions. Like I'm ready. As soon as I walk in the room, Amanda has a contraction, and she looks at me. Gets a whiff of the pizza, and I thought she was gonna be hungry. Oh no! Get out of here! <laughs> Woo! We got out of there real quick. Oh, Anyways. Okay. All right. Moving back on bullet night number five. She's like wondering. Miss Producer's like, where? How does? How do they get there? Oh, just wait. Let's go. This just is the wait. way. Let's this go. This is the way. Identify and quantify all previous and present significant loads. Acting, acting on the dent. You know, so I think the easiest one uh, to go here is just with pressure, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I don't, it's, it's difficult to imagine what other uh, significant loads, unless you're dealing with like a geohazard type thing, potentially. Yeah. Uh, I think what, where this comes into place is a lot of times when you're assessing a dent, you need to understand the hydro test history of that dent. What's mm -hmm. the previous high pressure that it's seen? Was it subjected to a hydro test before or after it was created? Uh, you often run into issues with how the line was operated 
further than three or five years ago? So did you have a change of service? Is the line operating significantly different, maybe in terms of direction or literal operations over the last five years have they changed? And let's yeah. just leave it at that. You need to understand historically how that pipeline was operated and when the dent may have gotten itself in there and how operations pertain with respect to that. That's how I'll summarize that. It's not a bad point. Okay. And, and maybe we'll come back to this in a minute because I feel like bullet number six maybe can can present some potential questions about number five. I need to practice breathing on six. So in number six, it says evaluate the strain level associated with the anomaly or defect. So evaluate the strain level and any nearby welds using finite element analysis or other technology in accordance with this section. So we haven't seen any other technology in this section yet, so let's just stick to FEA. Using FEA to quantify the dent strain and then estimating and evaluating the damage That's using strain limit design and ductile failure damage indicator, DFDI, at the dent. And appropriate evaluation methods. So, what do you think they're trying to say? <sighs> so, you got to use FEA. That's point so one. What I, no, well, yeah, but I got issues with that because before you said perform a pipeline based curvature strain analysis. Yep. Like, so almost all of the strain analysis has been exclusively done with curvature based methods, and they do a really good job. Yep. My issue here is that I think some things got mixed up. So you can use FEA, but it's more common to use FEA for a remaining life analysis or to understand how the dent behaves to loads, either internal pressure or external. It's less common to use FEA for a strain-based assessment. You can, and there's really only been a few publications on doing that, and that's how it got tied to the DFDI. But even if you follow the genesis of the DFDI, and we could get Ravi yep. on here, who's had most of the work in this. Yep. Ravi and Blade worked with TC Energy to develop a screening-based DFDI approach that did not rely on FEA as a means to getting away from the FEA. Yeah. And I feel like that was a step forward. It's good. What, what a lot of people don't realize that I often tell them is that the DFDI in that context was not a new method. It was a different strain limit. It was not a different method for calculating strain. When they worked all the way through it, what they did is they would calculate strain based on a geometric profile, and then they would use a different limit based on the DFDI coupled with that geometric profile. They also had a method that used FEA to calculate the strains, but that was an expensive and time-consuming method, so they moved away from that to develop this other criteria. I think, unfortunately, a couple of words sound really sexy in here and just got picked up. Finite yeah. analysis. That sounds really advanced. Maybe you should have stopped there. Ductile failure damage indicator. That sounds really advanced, more advanced than strain. But if you're doing a curvature-based strain assessment, this doesn't add anything. And in fact, I think it creates a lot of confusion yeah. that's gonna make it difficult for operators to know like, oh, do I have to do DFDI now? Is that my only option? And yeah. do I have to do it with FEA? And I don't think either of those are necessary or significantly enhance the value of what you're behaving, particularly that when we're about to get to point number eight. Yeah. So. Um, at, bring us home because uh, the way I wanted to say it is this. This point is confusing, Chris. This point is inconfusing, but it's confusing for a couple of reasons. Number one, when you look at bullet point three, mm -hmm. which specifically said yep, determine strain. a curvature based strain analysis, yep. 
Now we're introducing SLD, strain limit damage, and ductile failure damage indicator, which are other methods for determining strain. And we're saying, oh, now you have to use an FEA-based strain. So is it either or, or do I have to do both? I've got to yeah. do a curvature-based strain, then I have to progress and do an FEA. And I don't think that when you go back and look at the papers that Robbie put together in TC, yeah. the intent was to make everybody do an FEA on strain. That was not the intent. And so this is where we're going to do a little bit of uh, compliance. Not to mention, let me also go, if you discussion. get on DFDI, the real problem there is that DFDI required true stress, true strain curves to develop not a screening-based DFDI, but an actual limit. Nobody's got true stress, true strain curves. Those are difficult to get. So let me hone in on some words here, right? So remember when I read this, I said, let's pause. So let's just say other technology. And the pause was or other technology in this section. Yeah, so do we have other In that section, are they referring back to bullet three? So are they saying you can choose to do a pipeline curvature-based strain analysis or an FEA according to number six? I think it's gotta be an FAQ, man, to sort that out. And that's kind of what I think I was gonna try to get to. Grit level FAQ? Yep, we would just encourage our, our friends over at the Grit that if we could get an FAQ on on when to use bullet six, is that basically a mode of escalation? Very much like operators will use yeah. B31G, modified B3G R string for metal loss. Here we're saying you can go on ahead and use a level three curvature-based strain analysis using uh, high resolution deformation data. If for whatever reason we believe we need a little bit more sharpening of the pencil, yeah. then we could deploy an FEA um, consistent with, with the ideas in bullet number six. Cool. Awesome. Let's move on. Yeah, let's go through seven quick because I want to get to eight. Number seven, the analysis performed in accordance with this section must account for material properties uncertainties. They're probably pointing to 607, the 192.607, model inaccuracies, and inline inspection tool sizing tolerances. What do you think? Um, so it's interesting you pointed to 607. My reaction would have been, I think that's necessarily what they're thinking of. Um, so when I think of material property uncertainties, you know, that that I really get on with the, the strain and what limit do we use for strain. But if we, we know the properties and the grade of our pipeline, we can generally use some higher strain limits. Um, if not, like if we're forced to use the DFDI from the previous one, then Ravi and company handled that with a factor of safety. When I think about model inaccuracies and inline inspection tool sizing tolerances, my recommendation for handling that is if you have multiple inspections that captured the dent, look at the strain from each of those assessments. They're very likely to be as much as plus or minus 1% off. That's what we found in the yeah. paper that we did in 2020. So I think that's how you handle uh, the uncertainties there is by looking at how the shape was actually captured. I don't think you're gonna be able to go to any vendor and say, hey, mm-hmm. what's your, uh, strain specification uh, for this particular dent. I I personally have not seen that quantified really well, at least by the vendors. Yeah. So for our note takers, um, the the takeaway I would would suggest here is it's again, I'm going back to it, an ECA is an evaluation process. And you'll have to document the results of each of these bullets. So basically in your written procedure, you're going to want to see some details that relate to bullet number seven of what you need to consider for, for these subcomponents of it. So just, just write it down and, and what you considered and what you didn't. It doesn't have to be a lot of wording there, a lot of thought into it, but definitely write down what you know. Bullet number eight, dense with a depth greater than 10% of the pipe OD or with geometric stain level, strain levels that exceed the lesser of 10% or exceed 
the critical strain for the pipe material properties must be remediated and then it offers other sections that I'll tell you when you need to respond yeah, to response. things. Yeah. Alright, so this is a mess Chris and this is why. So I'm just going to ignore the depths greater than 10% because most operators are not leaving dents in with depths greater than 10% except in some maybe exceptional circumstance. I'm going to ignore that. I'm going to focus on geometric strain levels that exceed the lesser of 10% or critical strain limits. Okay. Um, first off, we said geometric strain level, so it's unclear if that's referring back to point three, or does this mean we have to do it with point six and FEA? I mean, that's my immediate confusion there. Um, when I read this, yeah. what, what I, when I read this, this screams ASME B31A, the 2020 version that updated the strain limits. That's what I feel like I'm reading here. Yeah. Where I, I get confused is so when 31.8, they basically defined a couple of limits. And I sit on that committee, so I'm, I feel like I can speak pretty confidently on this subject. There's a lower bound limit of 6% if you know nothing about the material. So 6% strain is your lower bound limit. If you know something about the pipe material, if you know the specified elongation to failure, then you can take a different value for the strain limit. If you have MTRs, you can take the elongation that's actually achieved from those and come up with another strain limit. Those will typically bump you up at a minimum on the order of, I'd say, 9 to 15% strain. Yeah. Right. And the intent there is if you know something about your properties, you can justify higher strain limits. This effectively just caps it at 10%. Yes. My challenge is the whole purpose behind the DFDI in most cases yeah. is it gives you a more accurate estimate of the strain, but it also gives you much higher limits. So if you're pulling that true stress, true strain curve that's necessary to do the full DFDI approach, yeah. you're typically looking at strain limits that might be 18, 19, 20%. Yeah. And you just capped it at the knees and said, yep, but you can't get higher than 10% unless I'm interpreting geometric strain to only be related to 0.3. So it's very unclear how points 3, point 0.6, and point 0.8 relate together because we've mixed different approaches with different limits, and I feel like it's 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 honestly a muddy mess. Yeah. So, so it feels like this was almost a compromise, and obviously we don't have the, the the background here where it's they want to use the information you have to do an advanced analysis. Let's call it an advanced analysis. Well, this is the way. And but it's limited. It is prescriptive to some degree. So even if you understand your material properties and you're confident you don't have cracking due to strain. It caps at 10%. So stressed out. Now, I think, let me tell you what I think they tried to do. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to tell you how these assessments have historically gone. And I don't, I don't think the regulations intended to go uh, against what was done, right? So what we tried to capture in 1183 is a general tiered approach to how you handle dent assessments, right? So your first level of resistance or your first level of attack is that geometric strain assessment. So I'm going to do a curvature-based strain assessment. And I'm going to use the limits from 318. Right? There have been a few cases where operators said, hey, I'm over the limit there. Yeah. I want to push the limits and look deeper. So I'm yeah. going to do an FEA-based, a more advanced one, and I'm going to couple that with more information on the material side. Yeah. Right? But you usually don't do that advanced option if you're fine on the lower option. Because if you're fine on that, you're going to pass on the advanced one. And usually yeah. only go here in exceptional circumstances. I feel like what we did is we kind of mixed them up. And I don't think that was necessary. If yeah. what we're trying to say is regardless of the method of assessment, I will not present, prevent, or permit higher than 10% strain, 
I think that's really going to discourage anybody from using an FEA-based approach and potentially from using something like the DFDI. If what we were trying to say is we won't permit higher than 10% for a geometric-based strain assessment, something like B318, mm-hmm. not FEA, you know, I could buy into that. Because in general, I'd, I'd say in, in most cases, uh, that's not necessarily bad and you don't usually want to push dents too far beyond 10% in a geometric-based strain assessment coming off of the back of an ILI tool. That was a lot of words. And I it hope is. if the operators are confused, I'll say again, my point is get help, get help yes, yep. and understand that I think what we did is we took a tiered approach to dent strain and we kind of mashed yes. them together in points three, six, and eight. Yeah, and the cool thing is there is going to be a written procedure for operators, and so there's an opportunity to engage in these discussions yeah. and then make decisions on the interpretation. So just another plug to to our friends over at, at GRIT, you know, FAQs would be pretty helpful here, um, but let's. You said a lot on 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 bullet eight, and so one of the things I think we want to take away from this for our note takers is this is the first place where we see response. Yeah. Right up until this point, it was all doing some form of data integration, understanding what's going on, performing an analysis either numerically or through something like an FEA. And, and then you're now determining if you need to do a response. So I think that's the big, the big takeaway. And you have to understand which part of code you're responding to, if it's in an HCA or outside of HCA. Yeah. So I think that's a big one here. <clears throat> okay. Have we seen remaining life assessment yet? Nope, I, but that's I've, what we're going to get I've only, Yeah, I've only seen future... We've seen it for cyclic I've, fatigue with cracks. Uh, yeah, yeah, but that's understanding if there's cracking. So I feel like up till now, it's all been immediate crack assessment time. I mean, excuse me, feature assessment, where do I need to do something now? It feels like that. Now we know that in in these other sections, 713 and 933, it says what's an immediate one year condition, et cetera. So we could dig into that later. But let's look at bullet nine. I feel like I might have a PPIM paper here. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, We got an email saying that they're open for abstracts now. This is a good one. This is a good one. Um, This is the way. That's the title of the paper. It is. Already done. <laughs> Using operational pressure data, a valid fatigue life prediction model that is appropriate for the pipeline segment and assuming a reassessment safety factor of five or greater for the assessment interval, estimate the fatigue life of the dent by FEA or other analytical technique that is technically appropriate for the dent assessment and reassessment intervals in accordance with this section. Multiple dent or other fatigue models must be used for evaluation as part of this ECA. So let's use that last sentence last. Let's try to interpret the first sentence if we can. Looking at Ms. Producer, I don't know how much time we have left to get through this, but let's do it, man. So I, I see operational pressure data. It's not total garbage, I'll say that. I see valid fatigue prediction model. I see safety factor for the reassessment interval five or greater. And they basically want you to establish an interval and the remaining life using FEA or equivalent models. So here's the challenge, Chris. I think a couple of things. I like the fact that they incorporated RLA into this. I think that's great. Um, Even for gas pipelines, I I think it was great. I think the reassessment safety factor of five kind of surprises me a little bit. Um, That's the first time I've seen it explicitly said. Yeah. And I, honestly, man, I'm, I'm, I'm just surprised by that. So the, the paper that we did in, in Judge Me By My Size looked at the adequacy of reassessment intervals for dents. We found that a three was good enough to cover most factors. I think five is pretty big. That, that 
with some of the methods that are out there, it's going to make demonstrating an RLA potentially problematic or yeah. challenging, even for gas pipelines. I don't know where the multiple dent or fatigue life model came. I mean, I think I do because I've had some conversations. I think a lot of times there have been consultants who will put out fatigue lives using multiple approaches, kind of like a shotgun approach. Like, hey, I'm going to use the Smith, the Smith Watson topper model, boom, and I'm going to use DOE curve, boom, and I'm going to yeah. use this, boom, and they're just out there like shooting shotguns, right? The problem is that I honestly think while the intent's good, I think it creates confusion yeah. because those will all generate different fatigue lives. Well, the challenge is, is it's, there, there's a big word here. It says multiple dent or fatigue models must be used. Yes, and that confuses. So, you know, again, I think if you have multiple dent profiles from different inspections, you should definitely perform the remaining life analysis with both of them to understand the potential variation. Yeah. That's a good practice. Do I think you should be surprised if you use the PRCI MD49 approach to assess your remaining life yeah. and then you use stress concentration factors or EPRG and you get a different life? Yeah. No, you shouldn't be. Do I necessarily think you need to take the most conservative of those and divide by five? No, I don't either. Yeah. So I think that's there, there's a, a big play here on the terminology I use, which is a qualified individual. Yes. Right. This is where I think having your competency matrices in place, your management of change processes that you have as part of your integrity management program, where you Chris, have you have new regulation. This producer's getting nervous. We have new regulation. She's getting nervous. We have new assessments that need to be done. Get help. Let's no, talk get to the help. Right people. This is the way. This is the way. Get so, help. look, guys, we we actually need to wrap it. I've enjoyed. Chris. I've, I've got one more statement I want to make though before we end, please. You do? Okay. Go. So, when we look at this document, I do want to read this. I think this is relevant, right? It says FIMSA issued the following final rule on August fourth of twenty twenty two. It has been submitted to the Office of Federal Registrar for publication, which is what we're looking at. It says although FIMSA has taken steps to ensure the accuracy of this version of the final rule posted on the FIMSA website, it will be posted in the docket FIMSA twenty eleven zero zero twenty three on regulations.gov website. It is not the official version. Mm. Please refer to the official version in the forthcoming Federal Register publication. So it may change. We'll, we'll keep our eyes on it. Probably but in the not. end, I think what we're trying to say is it's we look forward to the FAQs. Back Absolutely. to you. So again, I enjoyed this, Chris. You know, um, you got some you got some good reactions from me. I think you did well. I think there's a lot here to take in, guys. I think we're going to spend more time talking about this. It's going to be very interesting to see how it's implemented. But uh, I, this was a good wrap up. On yeah. the backside of, of, of deformation tools, I enjoyed it. We hope you enjoyed it. Today, we'll be back again. Um, I'm your host, Thing20, Red Dots, and my co-host, Thing21. Thank you for joining us today.